to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, as we begin our series on Ephesians and go through this book over the next several weeks, Father, I I pray that this book would impact us. Father, I I thank you for the book of Ephesians and and the rich truths that are contained therein. Father, I pray that you would help Harbin's church to live up to all the things that the book of Ephesians calls us to, Lord. Father, I pray that you would use the book of Ephesians to bring about spiritual renewal and spiritual revival in our congregation. Father, I pray that this this book, the preaching and the teaching and the reading of this book would impact hearts and lives and marriages and moms and dads and kids and disciples and lost people over the next several weeks. I pray that your spirit would guide Steve as he preaches this morning. I pray that your spirit would open our ears so that we may hear what you have to say to Harbin's. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you. Well, I see, um, I just wanted to congratulate all our boys who went camping this uh, weekend. Um, I know that my son came home with some battle wounds, and so if we had Purple Hearts to give out this morning, I'd be giving them out. But we had a good uh, time of men and young men gathering over on the septic field and camping out. As I was thinking about this book, this letter to the Ephesians, I was thinking about how beautiful it is, how amazing it is. Every, um, well, every artist or um, maybe musician, famous artist or musician has particularly one masterpiece. It just sort of stands out. Uh, For Michelangelo, it would be the the Sistine Chapel, perhaps. Um, uh, For Leonardo da Vinci, it would be the Mona Lisa or maybe the Last Supper. And there seems to be just certain uh, masterpieces of work that stand out. You know, as a dad, uh, one of the best birthday gifts I ever received was my uh, family made me a book um, that has a bunch of my children's masterpieces in it over the, over the years. So, I mean, I had this stuff all on my walls, and we didn't, couldn't see the wall anymore, and so they decided to make a book of just some of the masterpieces. And so I, as I look through some of these, there's some that, that stand out to me as, you know, really special or that I really enjoyed uh, looking at. Like Noah's, um, Noah's drawing of Obi-Wan Kenobi here. It's pretty impressive, all right? And he drew that several years ago, and I remember just being so impressed with that drawing. And and there's Olivia's drawing of a horse, which was real impressive. And so there's masterpieces in here. And some of them stand out to me that I remember more than others. As I was doing study of this book, and I, I began to realize how many uh, theologians and pastors and people from church history, how special the book of Ephesians has been. Now, all of Paul's letters are masterpieces. Uh, They're all tremendous, and they're all glorious because they're inspired by the Holy Spirit. But the book of Ephesians in particular seems to be um, one of the the pinnacles or or the pinnacle of his writing, and just this tremendous, beautiful uh, book that has influenced so many people and so many churches. One theologian called it exactly that. He said it was Paul's 
masterpiece of theological beauty. His masterpiece of theological beauty. I would dare say that this is the most loved book in the Bible. It's a gem. It's glorious. It's encouraging. It's convicting. It's rich. It's deep. It's stirring. It's very theological and doctrinal. Yet it's also very practical and challenging. It exalts God's sovereign grace for His church through His Son, Jesus Christ. Chrysostom, one of the early church fathers, called, said that this letter is full of Paul's sublime thoughts and doctrine, which he scarcely utters elsewhere, but plainly declares here. John Calvin said that this book, Ephesians, was his absolute favorite. John Knox, while on his deathbed, had asked his wife to read this book to him every day. Other theologians have called it the crown of Paul's writings, the divinest composition of man, or the quintessence, quintessence of Paulinism is what one man called it. John Stott said that nobody can read this book of Ephesians without being moved to wonder and worship and challenged to consistency of life. And so it's during this time, during this season of Harbin's, that I really want us to dive into this book. The title we've given to the series is The Riches of His Grace as we journey through this book. I have felt pretty strongly over the past few weeks God leading us to Ephesians for a variety of reasons. And I think as we preach through Ephesians, we'll see that our church is living Ephesians in a lot of ways. And that there's so much in here that, that God wants to teach us. Ephesians, the book of Ephesians, teaches us a lot about ecclesiology, how church should work. It teaches us a lot about unity in the body of Christ, purity within the body of Christ, and even diversity within the body of Christ. Ephesians teaches us a lot about spiritual warfare, and our church is certainly embroiled in a lot of spiritual warfare right now. Ephesians teaches us a lot about the Holy Spirit and His role in the church and His role in each single, every single believer. Ephesians teaches us a lot about the family and the purpose of the family and the purpose of marriage. Ephesians teaches us a lot about the gospel. We need these things. I find it interesting that God has led us to take a look at the book of Ephesians during the summer before we jump back into Acts and finish out Acts in the fall. Because where did we leave off in Acts, if you remember? Let's see how... how how well you guys remember. Does anybody know what chapter we left off in in Acts? Mm, little pop quiz here to see how people have been listening, how close people have been listening to the pastor. Any any ideas? Eight? Buddy, you are off by about a year. No. It's closer. 18. It was the very beginning of 19. Very beginning of 19 is where we left off. And where is Paul at that moment? He is in Ephesus. He is establishing the church in Ephesus. Matter of fact, he will spend, in, in Acts chapter 19 and 20, we have a span there of three years that God, that, that God has Paul in the city of Ephesus. So I find it very interesting that Paul is in Ephesus right now, as we've been journeying through, he reigns, and God has led us to this book of Ephesians. So I, I look forward to diving into this amazing book. Now, today's message will be an introductory message, and... Um, it would just help get us some background, the theme, the purpose, the aim of the book. And so all we're going to do is simply look at the salutation this morning. So we're going to look at the messenger, the recipients, and the message. 
as we introduce this book of Ephesians and get ready to dive into it for the rest of the summer. Paul's epistles normally have five parts. A salutation, a prayer of thanksgiving, a section of doctrine, doctrinal teaching, then a section of application of that doctrine, and then a closing section or a benediction to end the letter. And so this is the salutation portion of this particular epistle, Ephesians 1, 1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So the first thing we want to look at is God's messenger, Paul. I don't really have notes for you in the um, bulletins today because there's not really an outline to this. We're just, that is the outline. The title is the outline. So first, let's look at the messenger, Paul. The Bible tells us that Paul is the one who wrote this letter, and there is no real reason for us to doubt that. If we're Bible-believing Christians and we believe in the inerrancy of Scripture, there's absolutely no reason for us to doubt that. But there has been scholarship that has emerged in the mid that did emerge in the mid 1800s uh, out of the higher textual criticism realm that began to doubt the Pauline authorship of this book. But all those doubts can be met with um, with counterpoints that uh, give us great reliability that this book did come from Paul. The, those who refute the authorship of Paul will note that there's some unique words in Ephesians that aren't in some of the other Pauline epistles. And some of Paul's favorite words that are in some of the other Pauline epistles aren't in this one. But this book has some unique themes that some of the other ones don't have. And this book, unlike the other epistles, which were written for specific purposes to deal with specific issues or challenges in the church doesn't seem to be addressing any particular problem in the church in Ephesus. So there's a completely different purpose for writing the book. Um, a lot of people point out there's not a lot of mention of justification in the book. Instead, he seems to focus more on reconciliation. But again, Paul is writing this book for this church at this time. So none of these proofs are, none of these reasons for doubting Paul's authorship are convincing. Early church fathers like Clement of Rome, Ignatius, uh, Polycarp, all not only referenced Ephesians, but they all referred to the book of Ephesians as being written by Paul. And if those who were right there within just a few years of Paul walking this earth didn't doubt Pauline authorship, I really don't think some scholars 1,800 years later can doubt Paul's authorship of this text. Did you know that actually, just a little side note here as I was studying for this, um, that, that most of the New Testament... Can be If we didn't even have any copies of the New Testament, let's say we had zero copies, most of them could be, most of the New Testament could be reconstructed. Matter of fact, all of Paul's epistles could be reconstructed just by finding quotes by the early church fathers and pulling it out of their writings. And you could put the New Testament back together. It's another great proof for the reliability of this book and the fact that this is God's closed canon of Scripture. Paul is the author of the text. And we see the Pauline themes flowing throughout this book that's very consistent with his other letters. Paul wrote the book around A.D. 62 while he was in prison in Rome. It says here that Paul is the author of the book, and it says that he is an apostle of Christ. An apostle of Christ Jesus. Apostle, in its general sense, means messenger. But, there's also, but there were also those, as you know, in the early church who were designated as apostles, an office in the church by Christ in the sense that they were specifically chosen, called, 
empowered and sent with authority to teach the gospel message of Jesus Christ. And Paul was one such person. Paul is to be heard. He is to be heard by the Ephesian church as they get this letter. So they get this letter, so you can kind of imagine the scene. Perhaps Timothy, who was a pastor at Ephesus, is the one who is receiving the letter and now opening it up to the congregation and about to read it. So as they receive this letter, he is to be heard, Paul is to be heard, not because he's a great missionary, not because he's a great scholar, which he is, not because he's a great teacher, which he is, not because he's a great intellect, not because he's a bold church planter, not because he's the one who planted the Ephesian church. Paul is to be heard by the Ephesian church because he is an apostle. That's where his authority lies. He has authority and his message is authoritative. Paul is to be heard by us too, therefore, us Harbin's church for the very same reasons. This is apostolic authority. So last week we talked, last two weeks we talked about these marks of a New Testament church and one of the things we mentioned is that they're devoted to the apostles' teachings and so what we have here is the apostles' teachings. His title of messenger stresses that the, the stress is the authority of the sender, who is Jesus, and the accountability of the one sent, who is Paul, and the responsibility to respond to the message accordingly by the recipients, which is the church in Ephesus, and also us. We are also recipients of the apostolic message that God, that Jesus Christ has given Paul. So he's an apostle of Christ by the will of God. By the will of God is the next thing he says. Now, he says this not to draw attention to himself as one who has a special status. Not to draw attention to his status. But instead, he's showing that us, that his mission and this word does not arise from himself. It's not about him. Instead, it comes from God. It is the will of God. It has nothing to do with Paul. The man of God does not refer to his obedience to God's will as some sort of badge of honor, but as a commission for which only God gets the honor. And Paul points to God and not himself. He's a very humble man. And we can read multiple passages from Paul's epistles that that demonstrate this humility. He had this calling upon himself, and and he would mention to them that, okay, I'm an apostle of Christ Jesus, and he mentions that he was the least of the apostles. matter of fact, in 1 Timothy 1.12 and following, we read this. I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost... But I receive mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. So Paul had this tremendous humility about his calling, and he understood, as he says, he's doing this by the will of Christ. He's not saying, hey, look at me. Instead, he's saying, hey, look at Jesus alone. So that's the messenger, Paul, the apostle. By the will of Christ Jesus. The recipient is the church of Ephesus. 
and us, the church universal, the church at all times. This is, they are the recipients the, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Now the saints, as most of you probably know, but some of you may not, the saints are not the spiritually elite, not some high and mighty minority. That's a sad misuse of the word saints. Saints are not some special class of people. It refers to all of God's people. Saints, hagios, is, it, refers to, it means holy or sacred, morally pure, blameless, consecrated, set apart. God's people, His tribe, His church are His consecrated, set apart, called out, gathered people. All Christians are God's holy ones, God's saints. Therefore, this book is written to all believers. It's written for Christians. Now, just a parenthetical note here. If we think about this church being written to Christians, if it's written to the saints, it's written to Christians, okay? And, and, and we are to be devoted to the, to the apostles' teachings. And if this is the apostles' teachings, and the teaching of the apostles is mere, clearly meant for the saints, then I think that kind of settles the debate on what these gatherings are for on Sundays. If we are to be teaching the apostles' teachings, then the church gathering on Sunday is for primarily his people, his saints, his children. The gathering of the elect on a Sunday morning, this, is, this time here is for teaching God's people. If we are to be faithful to apostolic teaching, the apostolic teaching is meant for the saints. Now that does not mean that if an unbeliever comes in, they don't feel welcome. They are feel welcome. They should be convicted by the apostolic teaching and hopefully... Come to Christ, repent of their sins, and confess Him as Lord and Savior. So they are the saints that are faithful in Christ Jesus. Faithful, this word faithful can actually mean two things. It can either mean faithfulness and trustworthiness, or it can mean trusting or having faith. It can mean either one. Matter of fact, your translations may reflect what the translators of your Bible thought that it did mean. But there's many out there who believe it has sort of a dual meaning. That this is referring not only to people who are faithful and trustworthy, but also to those who have faith and are believers. Okay? They believe, I, and I seem to agree with this from what I've read over this past week, that what they're referring to are faithful, trustworthy people who are believers in Christ by faith and who have put their trust in Christ alone. They have faith and therefore they are faithful. They trust in Christ, and therefore they are called to live trustworthily. They are called to holiness. We are all, therefore, called to holiness. As we look at this text, the word saint in and of itself is a call to holiness. And we're called to be trustworthy, and we're called to be faithful. We're called to live in holiness. This is the privilege and calling of every single believer, every single Christian. Now, these Christians in Ephesus and the Christians that are gathered here this morning, we are saints... Not by merit or works. Instead, we are set apart by God and therefore are called to holiness and faithfulness. And this call to faithful, faith-filled living can only come about through Christ as He works in us. So you look at the full text here of who the recipients are of this message. The saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful what? In Christ Jesus. This phrase, in Christ becomes a huge, huge phrase, a major emphasis of this book. This expression is used no less than 11 more times in the book of Ephesians. So this teaching of being in Christ is vital to our understanding of 
the book of Ephesians. One commentator put it this way, Christians not only have faith in Him, their life is in Him. As the root in the, as the, root in the soil, the branch in the vine, the fish in the sea, the bird in the air, so the place of the Christian's life is in Christ. Colossians 3.1 says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. So it says, To the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. So the last thing I want us to consider regarding the recipients is the fact that they are in Ephesus. And let's talk just a little bit about this church in Ephesus. We need to understand the context of who this was written to. Now, if you remember, through our travel through the book of Acts, Paul is the one who planted this church in Ephesus on his way back to Jerusalem. In Acts chapter 18, verses 18 through 23, he's heading back to Jerusalem, and he leaves Priscilla and Aquila. Remember that couple? He leaves them there in Ephesus to help get the church started. He went into the marketplace and went into the synagogues, preached the gospel, and then a church gets started and he leaves Priscilla and Aquila there to help get it going. Apollos comes on board at some point. We read in the latter part of uh, Acts 18 that Apollos was preaching boldly. Remember, Priscilla and Aquila gently corrected his doctrine and he became a major figure in the church there as well before heading off to Corinth. Now, after visiting Jerusalem, Paul heads out on his third missionary journey and he stops in Ephesus in Acts chapter 19 and that's where we left off. And then for the next three years, he will be in, in Ephesus ministering. Now, eventually, we'll see as we go back to uh, he reigns, he gets forced out of town due to a riot when the silversmiths in town begin to lose money because his ministry was so successful that people weren't ordering as many idols as they once had before. So the idol industry went down, and these guys get upset, and they, they stir up a riot against Paul that forces him out of town. And we also know that from looking at the, the, the epistles that, that Paul wrote to Timothy, because Timothy was the pastor of the church in Ephesus, we look at those epistles, we see that at some point, false teaching began to emerge in the church. And Paul had warned the Ephesian elders in Acts chapter 20, the, uh, verses 17 through 38, he had warned them that false teaching was going to get into the church. Matter of fact, even some of them, referring to the elders, would be led astray. So he warned that there would be false teaching coming. It did come. We read about some of that in 1 Timothy. Uh, and we read about how Paul was encouraging him to fight some of that, that was, fight all of that that was going on. Ephesians, the church in Ephesus, was also one of the seven churches addressed by Jesus in the book of John's Revelation. In Revelation 2, 1, we read this. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, The words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven gold lampstands. I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil. So apparently, they had been fighting back against some of the false teaching that had come into their church. But have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. But Jesus also had an issue with the church in Ephesus by the time Revelation was written. It says this in verse 4, But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Now, scholars debate whether or not they're referring to the love of Christ or the love that 
Christ had, that they are to have towards others through Christ. And I think it's both because if you're lacking in either one of those areas, you will lack in the other. Verse 4, but I have this against you that you've abandoned the love you had at first. Verse 5, remember therefore from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Yet this you have, you hate the work of the Nicolaitans. Now, the, Nicol- the Nicolaitans were probably an early Christian sect of uh, a, a, a false teaching that had emerged, which I also hate. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. So, we can learn a lot about the church in Ephesus by looking at 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, looking at this passage in Revelation, looking at the text in Acts, looking at the letter that was actually written that we're reading now, to the church in Ephesus, you can learn a lot about that church. And as you look at that church, you see some of the issues they were dealing with, how to, how to handle issues in the church, how to handle false teaching in the church, how to love one another in the church. Uh, you can learn a whole lot by just looking at those texts. And you see that the church in Ephesus wasn't much different than the churches today and all the issues that we have today. Therefore, these texts, this word is perfect and timeless and is applicable to us today as well. Now we know that the church in Ephesus continued on for quite a while. Apparently they dealt with some of their issues and Jesus didn't come remove their lampstand because the church exists well into the fifth century, we know. And they were one of the strongest churches in early Christendom. But unlike some of Paul's other letters, this letter written to the Ephesians has, doesn't deal with any sort of doctrinal dispute or something going on in the church. Therefore, uh, that may be why it seems to flow and has just this unending beauty to it. It's almost like a sermon or an unbroken hymn of, of Christological praise with wide themes calling for Christ-honoring holiness. There's also some textual evidence that perhaps this was a circular letter that was, that was circulated within the region of Ephesus because there were about 280 communities around this major city of Ephesus that, uh, that were considered part of that region. Ephesus was, after all, a very important Roman city. It was a port city, therefore it was a major commercial center. It was very cosmopolitan, very diverse. It had one of the seven wonders of the world in it, which, is a te- which was a temple to the goddess Diana, Artemis. Okay? There was a trade union of silversmiths in Ephesus, and I think that they found good business there because of this temple to Artemis, to Diana. And actually, much of the commerce in Ephesus revolved around that temple. Much of the city's social life revolved around that temple. The, the city also had a huge stadium in it, as well as bathhouses, a gymnasium, a temple to Julius Caesar and the goddess Roma. It was a very modern city for the time, with all the amenities. But there was also quite a diversity of people. There was people from all over the world, but there was also... Very, very little of what we would call today a middle class. There were very wealthy people in Ephesus, and there were a whole lot of slaves in Ephesus. And if you know about slavery at that time, a lot of times it was simply ways that people paid off their debts. When they were heavily in debt, they were enslaved to the people they were indebted to. Today we don't have slavery like that. Instead we have little plastic cards that people are enslaved to. We just don't have the ball and chain. And so slavery existed there. It was, it was part of the financial economic reality of the day. And Paul even addresses slavery in this book as well. So 
this church, this book was for Ephesus, but it's for us too. I, I, I mentioned earlier that it's totally relevant for us today. Matter of fact, John Stott put it this way, this is the most contemporary book in the Bible since it promises community in a world of disunity, reconciliation in place of alienation, and peace instead of war. So the messenger is Paul the Apostle by the will of Christ Jesus. The recipients are Ephesus but are us too. And the message, well, the message, the theme that I've chosen to go with are the riches of His grace. I think the main theme in this book are the riches of His grace for His people in Christ Jesus. That seems to be just, the, to me, the kind of the overarching theme. But because this is such a rich, deep book, a lot of people have come up to come up with other uh, ideas as far as what they think the main theme of the book is. John Stott, who I've mentioned a couple of times, he, he refers to it as God's new man and God's new society, God's new way of doing things in the world. John MacArthur, he, his theme for the book, he believes it's talking about the mystery of the church in the revealed, uh, the revealed Messiah, Jesus Christ. Uh, others talk about this, this book is really about God's sovereign plan for his church. One uh, author wrote that it's the unity of mankind in Christ and the purpose of God in his word. That's the theme. Another author says that the theme is the eternal purpose of God that he's fulfilling through his son Jesus and working out through his church. The riches and the fullness of our inheritance in Christ was another person's view on what the theme is. And all those things are true. But I think it's all summed up in grace, the word grace, the riches of his grace. And I think the last part of the salutation here pretty much encapsulates much of the message of the whole book. Grace and peace, Ephesians 1, 2. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now this was one of Paul's customary greetings. We read this greeting in other books. But in the context of this book, Grace and peace just seem to flow out of Paul's theology here and perhaps are more expressed more clearly in the book of Ephesians than in any other of his epistles. Grace is God's free, sovereign, saving initiative and peace is what that initiative drives us to or brings us to. Reconciliation of sinners with God and sinners with one another. So the riches of his grace for his people in Christ Jesus is the theme that I would give to this book. Notice one last thing as we bring this introductory element of this series to a close. I want you to notice one last thing about this salutation. I'm going to read it again and put emphasis on these words. Ephesians 1, 1 and 2. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ dominates Paul's thoughts, dominates his theology, dominates his vision of the church, dominates this epistle. Everything flows from Christ. He's compelled almost to bring Christ to the foreground and put him in every sentence in this book. He certainly does here in the salutation. Paul is the same, same man who wrote this book, wrote Romans eleven thirty six. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. And that's why this book is a masterpiece. 
because this book is all about Christ Jesus and His grace and the gospel and what He's accomplished and how that affects and changes everything in the church and everything outside of the church. It's a beautiful masterpiece because it's about Jesus through and through. So here's how I want us to conclude our message today. So I want you to put away your Bibles for a second. Just close them. You rarely hear me say that. Close your Bibles for a second. And I want to get, your, get yourself in the mindset that you are in Ephesus in A.D. 62. Perhaps there's this young preacher there named Timothy who Paul has left to help guide the church. Perhaps there's a beginnings, you're seeing inklings of division starting to creep up in the church. Maybe there's even some people there following some guy named Nicolaitis who are teaching some strange things over in one corner of the church. But you're there and you love this man named Paul. He spent three years with you just investing in you and investing in this church and helping get this church started. He spent three years ministering and he left some, some of his best friends there, Priscilla and Aquila, and perhaps they're there as well. And um, there's this guy by the name of, um, let me make sure I pronounce it right, Tychicus, who comes and he's a, he's a brother and he's a faithful minister and he, he's one of Paul's helpers. And he comes and you hear that he's come into town and he's got a letter. He's got a letter, he's got this letter from Paul. And imagine the joy that would have filled the people with, we've got, we've got a letter here from Paul. Paul, our friend, Paul, our, our brother, and he's got a, we've got a letter here from him. And so he, they come and they assemble, they gather together, perhaps in the hall of Tyrannus, which we read in Acts chapter 19 as, as a hall they begin to rent for the gathering of the saints. If you believe that church can only be done in homes, you have to go against certain passages of Scripture. It can be only done in homes if you want it to be done that way. But there's plenty of texts that say, hey, people gather together in large places like the Hall of Tyrannus in Ephesus. And so they gather together, and they're all there, and they unroll this parchment and begin to read the letter. But that's how I want to finish. I want you to put your minds in the mindset of the Ephesians, and let's just read this letter written to this church and written to you. Because you know in your mind what you're struggling with. You know there's in the corner of the church there's someone over here that's been saying the things that have been getting you upset. You know there's some disunity going on. You know there's some turmoil. And, and you need to hear from Paul, the authoritative apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, just as much as they needed to hear from him. And this was written for you just as much as it was written for them. So here you are sitting, listening as this letter from your beloved friend Paul is going to be read. So let's read the book of Ephesians. I want you all just to listen as I read this, and then I'm just going to go straight into a time of prayer and response. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the Father, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, 
for the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will according to the purpose which He set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and things on earth. In Him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of His glory. In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of His glory. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is the body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. And you, and you, were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Therefore, therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility 
by abolishing the law of commandments and ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body. I'm sorry, might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who are near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was, which was made known to the sons of men in other gener- which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has been now revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you, not to lose heart, not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints, that is, the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all fullness, all the fullness of God. Now to him, who is able to do far more abundantly than we ever ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you, urge you, to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, 
When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, the teachers, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed and to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. In the futility of their minds, they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have learned about Him and were taught in Him as the truth is in Jesus. To put off your old self, which belongs to the former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality... And all impurity and covetousness must not even be named among you as it is improper among the saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. For you, have been, you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure, or who is covetous, that is, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not associate with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern, try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. 
For it is shameful to even speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with all your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God our Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as, Christ, as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ in the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let, each, let the wife see that she respects her husband. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you, and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ. Not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he's a slave or free. Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him. Finally, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may, able to, may be able to withstand in the day of evil. And having done all to stand firm, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, stand up, take the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert 
Keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, that my words may, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. So that you may know how I am and what I am doing, Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that we, he may encourage your hearts. Peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. Let's pray. Father, I praise you for this masterpiece of truth. It is not a masterpiece because Paul was special. It is not a masterpiece because Paul had any certain thing about him that caused this to be a masterpiece. It is a masterpiece because it is inspired by you. It is your inerrant word. Paul simply became the vessel through whom you used to write this down. It is a masterpiece because it points the church to Jesus through and through, from the very beginning of the text to the very end. It's all about him. It's all about the gospel. It's all about what he's accomplished. It's all about your grace being poured out upon your people through your son, Jesus Christ, at the cross. God, we want to do business with you right now as we sit here and we think about how this text is to affect Harbin's. We want to live Ephesians, Lord. We want to live Ephesians when we think about spiritual warfare. We want to live Ephesians when we think about loving our brothers. We want to live Ephesians when we think about exposing evil. We want to live Ephesians when we think about being a husband. We want to live Ephesians, God, and we know that we cannot do it apart from the work of Jesus Christ in our church through the Holy Spirit. And so we say, Spirit, have your way with us as we go through this book, as we face this period of, of, of Harbin's history right now that seems to be a bit tumultuous, that seems to be a bit um, uneasy, Lord. There's, there's unanswered questions. There's, there's a future that seems to be, have a lot of question marks about it. But God, your purpose, as stated in Ephesians, will never fail. And so long as we get on board with your purposes, then Lord, whatever happens here, we can say, blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. We praise you. We thank you. You are our, 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 our true love. We thank you for your precious word, your masterpiece of truth. And we pray, God, that this text, this book, would have its way in our church and in our hearts as we progress this summer. And we pray all this in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Please stand if you would. Bring your prayer requests. Bring your offerings. Bring your hearts to the Lord this morning during this time of response. together.
Savior saved, thy strength indeed is small. Shall the weakness watch and pray, find in thee thine all in seated. Uh, just a, a few quick announcements I want to run by. Actually, for starters, I want to bring up Mark Pierce um, to uh, give us an update on the, on the boys' home and a way that you can help them out. Thanks, Mark. Y'all should have one of these I handed out today. Put them on your fridges at home. 
and kids, read through these and then help your parents throughout the week remind them when they go shopping, when your mom goes shopping, if you go shopping with them, pick up an extra cleaning supply and then bring it in each Sunday, set it up here, and then on August 1st, someone, maybe me, will take it to take all the supplies. So just remember this, and each week uh, we'll put it in the bulletins as a reminder. Um, very simple to do, very non-invasive, just buy some stuff, okay? All right, thanks a lot. And um, now that we're entering into the summer, um, as you know, our church is taking a summer Sabbath, and we're pulling back on some things uh, for, the, for the next couple of months, uh, including our, our regular community groups that we have in, in homes. Uh, however, <clears throat> we are um, starting life transformation groups this summer, uh, and we've talked to you a little bit about that already. Uh, it's just very, very, these are smaller than small groups. Uh, this is like three people Four at the absolute max. We want to keep these as, as small as possible. <clears throat> and really the purpose is um, uh, mutual accountability, uh, praying for one another, uh, uh, sharing with one another about what God is, is doing in each other's life. It's, it's, it's a way that we're building and investing in each other's life as a congregation. There is at least one group already. I, I'm in it, so I, I know there's at least one. Is there, there's are two groups now uh, that are that are going. Thank you, Steve. Uh, so if you're interested in being a part of a of a life transformation group, and I would highly recommend that that you would do this. Uh, let us know. We were going to have a sign up sheet. Uh, we don't have that today. But if you can let Peter know, and most of you know who Peter is, but just in case, can you raise your hand? Just let. There we go. I see that hand. Thank you, Peter. Uh, let Peter know, and uh, and and. Obviously, you don't have to be on an official sign-up sheet to do one of these things, but it is helpful uh, so that uh, you can know who's available. Uh, maybe uh, you can just put down your name to say, hey, I'm available if anyone wants to meet with me, uh, and, uh, and that, that would be a big help. So I, I want to urge you to participate uh, in that and, and connect with a couple of other folks in that way. Uh, I do want to thank those who have helped us to, um, to do follow-ups. You know, after our Easter egg hunt, we, um, we got the name and contact information of a number of unchurched families, and we had four, fam- uh, four families in this congregation uh, step forward to, uh, to follow up on these folks. We have a few more families that we need to uh, follow up with who, who visited us during the Easter egg scramble. We, we uh, found a few extra cards, and we need those to be followed up on as well. So if you want to help out and help us um, uh, follow up with these last few folks, that would be huge. We would really, really appreciate that. Let Steve know. And uh, also, for those of you who have done some follow-up already, if you can um, turn those cards back into Steve and, and, and let him know how that went, uh, that would be great as well. And uh, finally, uh, m- most of you know by now um, that, uh, that God is moving uh, our worship leader, Mark Barnicastle, into a new season of life. And, uh, uh, and actually, next week is going to be his last week of leading music here at Harbin's. And, uh, and so, actually, we're going to be taking a love offering for, her, uh, for him in appreciation of his years of service. He's, he's put three years of himself and his time and his energy into the ministry here at Harbin's. And, man, we really do appreciate it. Um, and uh, we are so grateful for how God has used you just to bless us and encourage us and to lead us into the presence of God every week. And so I'm not going to embarrass you anymore because we're going to do that next week. So, uh, but we're going to be taking an offering for him. So just keep that in mind throughout the week and, and be ready uh, for that.
Uh, I think that's basically it. So I'm going to go ahead and close us in prayer and dismiss us. It is our summer Sabbath, so there's no second hour activities going on, so you have more time to spend with your family. Let's pray together. Father God, um, I pray that as we leave this place, uh, that you would um, help us to be Ephesians kind of people. I pray that you would help us to uh, uh, live out the truths that are in Scripture. I pray that you would help us to be spiritual warriors for you. We have gathered this morning to worship. Now I pray that you would scatter us to evangelize, to proclaim your truth, to pour our lives and time into serving others and loving others and representing you to the world at large. I pray this week that you would help us to follow hard after you. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Go in peace.